Kate Gray wrote half a dozen uplifting, feel-good novels, and then her dark side took over. One night, she had a horrific nightmare, and when she woke up shaking, she just knew she had to write it as her next big story. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and on Binge Reading Today, Kate talks about the book that came out of that nightmare about a honeymoon gone wrong, a psychological thriller called, you guessed it, The Honeymoon. She considers questions like, what if you don't really know the person you just married? And she tells us about her own experience of being left at the altar, which catapulted her into an adventure that changed her life. Our giveaway this week is a month of historical romance. If you're searching for your next favourite story, look no further. These best-selling authors have teamed up to offer a delightful selection of new books, including my own Hope Redeemed, a Spanish novella, book six in the Of Gold and Blood historic mystery series, all available for a limited time only. And remember, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review so others will find us too. Word of mouth is still the best way for others to discover the show and some books they will love to read. But now here's Kate. Hello there, Kate, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Kate, you've done half a dozen feel-good, uplifting women's fiction novels, and now this change of pace to a dark psychological thriller, The Honeymoon. Why the change of pace and genre? I really enjoyed writing my novels as Katie Collins, uplifting, feel-good reads, but I just didn't have another idea. And I guess it also happened to be the start of lockdown when I was out of contract and it wasn't very good for that kind of creativity. The muse wasn't visiting. I have two very young children and my husband was working quite a lot as a journalist. So no ideas were coming forward. And one night I went to bed and I had this really horrific nightmare and I just knew I had to write it. And the nightmare was so scary that this then led me into to writing more psychological thrillers. And actually, I, I quite like embracing my darker side. It's <laughs> interesting. So this is the first psychological thriller that you've actually published, is it? But are you, have you got others on the boil now? Yeah, so I signed a two-book deal. So The Honeymoon came out this summer and the second one will be out next summer, which uh, is really exciting. So I'm currently editing that second one, which is a completely different. They're both standalone novels. Which is good in a way for my creativity, but difficult because I have a whole new cast of characters and problems to put them in. <laughs> That's right. When we get to the feel-good fiction a bit further on, some of it, there was a four-part series with a similar character and similar setting. So you did do a series there. But getting back to that nightmare, how much of the story was formed in the dream? Was it just the nub of an idea or did you have the whole thing largely roll out before you? I wish I'd had the whole thing. That would have been amazing. But no, it was the feeling that I had. I looked at my hands. It's so vivid now. I can remember it so clearly. And this was like two years ago. 
And I looked out of my hands and there was blood dripping from my fingers and the skull of a man caved in next to me on this beautiful beach. And I knew that people would, the police wouldn't be able to believe me. There'd be a translation problem. I would lose my children, my husband, my like I would lose everything. And I wouldn't be able to get people to believe that I was innocent. And the fear that in a split second that everything could be taken away from you and not having anyone believe you, it terrified me. And I woke up dripping in sweat. My husband had to calm me down and, and remind me that it was lockdown. We hadn't left England. I hadn't been on some exotic beach murdering men. <laughs> But it felt so real. I just thought, oh, what if, what if this happened on the last night of your honeymoon? What if you didn't really know that person that you just married? And what if then you had to trust them with this secret between the both of you? That's how it started. So it was a very much a, a visual image. And then it carried on from there. And have you any idea what might have even sparked that? Had you been watching horror movies or something? Or... <laughs> you don't know. People say that when you eat too much cheese. <laughs> Maybe I'd just been picking out on the camembert. I honestly don't know. Part of me does think it was the pressure of lockdown and feeling like I need another idea, I need another idea. And and maybe that was all subconsciously working away. But sadly, I haven't had any more nightmares. And every night I go to bed thinking, come on, one more nightmare. I might get another book out of it. (laughs) That's great. As you've alluded to, the honeymoon, there's two married couples, newly married couples. They're in a similar resort. They've got to know each other just a little bit over the honeymoon. And this weird event, a man dying on their last night in Bali, links them. So when they get back to England and resume their normal jobs, there is a little bit of a link between them through that murder for various reasons. It starts out being an unknown death, but we do know right at the beginning that some of the circumstances surrounding it and it very much moves around this area of how well do you know somebody that you're intimate with and what kinds of secrets can people hold from even those dearest to them? Is this something that's always been an interest of yours? I think I really enjoy reading psychological thrillers that ask those kind of questions of who do you know that are closest to you, how much you can trust them. And yeah, so I, I think. Marriage in particular is something that I'm interested in and that close relationship. I like those domestic settings. It could happen to me type feel. And like you were saying about the honeymoon, all those things, there's not spoilers. All those things happen pretty early on in the novel and they have to come back and start this life with this, the most biggest secret ever is the case of the most ultimate holiday blues, isn't it? (laughs) Knowing something so horrific happened and then you come back and try and pretend everything's normal and all these kind of secrets and lies and truths come out. But I do find it fascinating trusting other people and that process and the people that we go to bed, we wake up in the morning, but you never really know anybody. You only ever know yourselves. And yeah, I find that really interesting. You have a, a tagline in the book blurb, many marriages can survive anything, but when it started on a lie, is it really till death do us part? Yeah, I think it asks the question, doesn't it? How seriously people take those vows and who are these people that you're marrying and the relationship that you're going into, especially if it's a new relationship and they don't know each other for very long, people can hide a lot of secrets along the way. And I find that really interesting. And with these couples, it isn't just what happens, the events of that night, because as we get to know them better, they've all entered their marriages with some secret that they haven't told their partner. That's true, yeah. isn't it? Do you think yeah. a lot of us do that? 
we maybe portray the best versions of ourselves. We especially do if we're dating somebody, you don't want to open your cupboard full of skeletons on the first date, might put them off. And maybe some of those secrets you do carry with you. And there is never the right time to reveal a certain part of you. Maybe it's a part that you're embarrassed about or ashamed. And, and yeah, I think it version what we portray, like on social media, it's not always the truth. And just because you're married to somebody or you're best friends with somebody or you work with somebody, it's not the truth always. And uh, yeah, I, as, a, as an author, as a writer, I, I do find those relationships, the kind of domestic relationships, really interesting, fascinating to look into. I was particularly intrigued by the character Sophie, who's a journalist who she'd got to a high level in Fleet Street and then had a, a failure and is back in the um, local media trying to climb her way back up and desperate to find the story that's going to take her back to the top. I worked for years as a journalist and I gradually became aware, even to myself, of the justifications ju journalists often use for going after stories like public interest and justice for the victim. But Sophie is so clear that there's a very strong element of personal motivation for ambition and just to get ahead there, isn't it? How far will she go to get the story? That also is a mm -hmm. question that is of interest to you? Yeah, I'm married to a journalist and I, I trained to be a journalist myself. And there is that line, isn't it, that, that these stories do need to be told. We need to hold people accountable. In England, we've had quite recently some very high profile figures that have need to be held accountable for recently. But I do think there is also that, that line of how much is too much and the levels, like you said, the, the, the depths people will go to to find the story and to really get into somebody's lives. And also this kind of also links back to what we put of ourselves online, how easy it is for a complete stranger to do a bit of digging and to then suddenly fall down a rabbit hole of your life and discover things that people put up unwittingly thinking it's for the good. But people are out there, journalists in particular, that's how they do get find the kind of the meat of the story. So, yes, yeah, so be careful. <laughs> it, the, the rules have changed too over the last 20 or so years. and. Things where before journalists would all keep secrets, like with the royal family, secrets about the misdoings of the male members of the family, or now it's almost gone to the other extreme that things that, and I think that's fair enough to, sh to show up that hypocrisy, but now it's gone almost to the other extreme, hasn't it? It's really, I think it is a really interesting debate. I do think journalists have a really important role in society. Like I said, holding people for account showing, take off the cover really and be like, this is going on, this is not okay. Um, so yeah, it has, the media landscape has changed dramatically with social media, with other people, kind of members of the public becoming journalists and taking on that role, becoming detectives with true crime cases. They get on TikTok and they're suddenly saying things that journalists wouldn't be able to say because they have the legal background and they have lawyers jumping on them that you can't name suspects, you can't name things. But Joe Bloggs, a member of the public, is able to. And I think as a journalist, if you know a lot of the story in the background to a case, that must be so frustrating, seeing it all being played out on Twitter X, whatever it's called now, and knowing yourself that you have to follow a code of conduct. Yeah, I, I do find it really interesting. Mm. Look, the honeymoon is very intricately plotted. And I wondered, this is the age-old question, but how intensely did you understand where it was going as you were writing it? Did you have a spreadsheet with everything plotted ahead or did you allow a certain amount of fluidity about the things that 
unfolded? So I didn't have any spreadsheet. I didn't have any plot, really. I just, like I said, I had that, that first image and the setting. And so I've been sparly myself. It's, it's beautiful. And I think it's like idyllic for honeymooners. But there was also, as in most countries, an underbelly of kind of crime and corruption that can go on there. The fact that there's a death penalty still exists. And as so I thought, it's a perfect place. Raise those stakes. I knew I wanted two couples and on the outside, people's marriages look perfect, but actually going in, you know, what they're hiding. And I also like the element that these two women, Erin and Sophia, they just picked up a conversation because they chose some beds next to each other. Really innocent, just a matter of fact, innocent decision, this single choice that then would go on to change the course of their lives. And I love those sort of sliding doors moments of what, you know, she'd have chosen a different bed or gone to a different resort than their lives they never would have met. So yeah, in terms of plotting, I just carried on telling the story that I wanted to read, I guess. I think after having written and read so many uplifting commercial women's fiction novels, it was nice to embrace that darker side and to try and write and emulate those psychological thrillers, which I adore, a bit of mystery, a bit of, yeah, psychological, ooh, like shadows and shivers that you get, but nothing really happening, but that sense of unease and I find that really interesting. But in terms of plotting, I, I didn't plot really. I just told myself the story. I had a lot of editing to do because I didn't really plot, but that's another thing. <laughs> that's right. Look, we will turn in, in a moment to talking a little bit about your uplifting feel-good fiction. But I wondered if your writing process had changed over this period, whether you had a slightly different way when you started and whether it's evolved in any significant way as you've been writing? I think I learned my craft with my women's fiction novels. I had six published, a seventh written. And so I knew the bare bones of structure and plot of kind of characterization, that sort of thing. And because those novels were so character heavy, kind of the characters came to life and we followed them. Whereas in psychological thrillers and in the crime world, it's a lot more plot heavy and things happening every single page and cliffhangers and all that sort of thing. But I uh, really enjoy those books where the characters are still memorable and you really root for them, whether they're good or bad. So I wanted to take what I'd learned from those really character-heavy novels I've written and bring that into my psychological thriller ones. And I've been really, really lucky with the reviews I've had where my readers of my Katie Collins books have said, oh, I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy a thriller. Maybe it's not my normal go-to genre. But actually, because they like my writing and they like how I've managed to create these characters that feel realistic, which is something I was really focused on, that, that they've enjoyed it and, and have left really good reviews, which is really good to hear. I was, I was relieved. I was worried about taking the leap to the new genre, but so far it seems to have paid off. That's great that your feel-good readers have followed you across because often they don't, do they? It's a weird one because I think not everybody reads just one genre. People do like a cross blend. And I think if you like an author, then you would at least give it a go. You might not read another one if you didn't fancy it. But I don't know, I think there's a bit of dark side in all of us. There is a place for a thriller, especially this yeah. time of year. We're getting over here, we're getting into autumn and Halloween. The nights are drawing in. So this is the perfect creepy weather for those, those sort of books. Look, you're now writing from the UK Midlands as the mum of two young children, as you've mentioned. But when you started out, it was very much a different lifestyle you were living. And you had a series called The Lonely Hearts Travel Club, where there was a footloose and fancy free single girl who was traveling the world. Tell us about Katie Collins with 
only one L actually, which is slightly unusual for those people who might be looking for you. Tell us about Katie Collins and those books. Yeah, so Katie Collins is, is my other alter ego, my other pen name. And Collins has only got one L because that's my dad's name was Colin. So that was why I got for those. And they started really based on my kind of my own personal life experience. So I was, this is about 10 years ago now, I was, like you said, very different circumstances to where I am now. I was about to get married and I had this big wedding planned and I was jilted. And it just changed everything. To the point where I was so heartbroken, I'd never experienced anything like that, that I decided to, to everyone people saying, oh yeah, the world is your oyster, you can make something good of this, it doesn't have to be this heartbreaking, heart-wrenching experience. But I really took them at their word and I literally left my job, sold my house, sold my car, sold all my belongings apart from what I could fit into a massive backpack and I booked a one-way ticket to Thailand. And I've never solo traveled before. I've never even got an airplane by myself before. But I was so determined to make something good out of this horrible situation. And life, like I said that before, the sliding doors moments, everything had spun on its head. So I started a blog, which was called Not Wed or Dead. And that was purely to keep my family updated so they knew I was alive. This was back when blogging was really big. And, and then I realized I had lots of readers messaging saying, I'm following your journey. I was also dumped or jilted or divorced. I understand that heartbreak that you're feeling, really encouraging me to carry on. And I, I traveled all around South, Southeast Asia and Australia. And then I ended up living in France for a bit. And whilst I was in France, I said, this is the year I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to use these experiences and put them, put them, my ink onto paper. And that's what became the first book in the Lonely Hearts Travel series, which was Destination Thailand which follows a jilted backpacker called Georgia who goes to find herself. And each book is a different country, a different destination that I've traveled to myself. And we follow her along this adventure with a whole cast of characters. But yes, like you said, that is a very different world to where I am today. Now I'm married and I've got two young children, two cats, very happily settled. And yeah, that all feels like a dream. Did that experience partly spark in you personally, that feeling of, how well did I know this person that this could happen? I think, do you know what? I think you've hit something there. I think it made me feel like I knew what was happening. I knew I could see my path. I could see everything. And then suddenly with this one decision that the, the rug had been pulled under my feet, literally. And I did question, I, it took me a long time to rebuild my trust in, in dating and, and men in particular. But also it gave me the skills to really trust myself. That going backpacking by myself and go around India as a solo female traveler, it gave me such courage and confidence that to rely on my own instincts that I became so much stronger because of it. So yeah, so it was, it was the best thing that ever happened. Now I can say that. Gosh, yes, they build you as the backpacking Bridget Jones at one stage, which is yeah. also a great little tagline. <laughs> so we do just have to ask, how did you build that courage up again? And where did you meet your husband? So this is a nice twist. This is a film-like twist in my story, in my plot, is that my husband is a journalist and I contacted him because I, when I got my book deal, it was an e-book, digital first deal. And I'm, I messaged him and I said, oh, I wonder if you could write an article for my mum's local newspaper. That was where I was hitting my sights. And he said, oh, I think I could do a bit better than that. Send me some photos and some information about everything. And he managed to get it in a regional newspaper and then all the nationals picked it up from there. 
then I was on t- television, I was on radio, and it was just a whirlwind. And we carried on talking throughout all of this. It went viral. And he was the only one who I wanted to speak to. And I think we instantly had this crazy connection. So yes, yeah, so I married the man who broke my story with the world. And now we have two wonderful children. And again, that all wouldn't have happened. That sliding doors, all those little tiny decisions, all those moments in life. And yes, it was a bit crazy. <laughs> Actually, I must admit that I picked it up online, the jilted story in the Daily Mail, which is one of UK's biggest metropolitans. So you really hit the headlines with it. Yeah, yeah. Turning away from the specific books to your wider career, was there a light bulb moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction? You did mention that you were in France. Had you had a long-term ambition to be a novelist? I, yeah, I've always loved books, loved libraries, I've loved writing, always short stories. I think, as I said, I trained as a journalist, I went into public relations, so I've always been writing in my daily life. But I never knew if I could write a book and love reading, but, so I think living in France and I was teaching English, but it was only part-time, and it was when I, I didn't have children, I was single, and so I had so much free time, and I thought, this is the time now. I'm never going to get this freedom and this, this amount of hours in the day that I can literally just be selfish and do what I want, and I'm going to just learn and read all the craft books and go on courses and just try and practice my art. And I gave myself a deadline. I had to do it by the end of the year to try and get at least a, a, a very rough first draft done, and I did, and, and, and I was able to sell it. So, yeah. Fantastic. If there was one thing that you would see as, quotes the secret of your success in the publishing industry, what would it be? I think to be resilient. I think you need a real thick skin in this industry. You need to be able to come up with ideas, but you also need to go through the day of writing and the words aren't coming and you get writer's block. And perseverance is so important, but it is a fantastic job. I do feel so lucky. I love connecting with readers. I love doing events. I love seeing the book when it's all finished from that idea in my head, especially from that nightmare for the honeymoon. It, it, it just still feels so magical. We probably should mention that after the backpacker books, you did then continue to write several other standalone women's fiction stories. Do you plan to continue with the two-string career, continuing with some of the uplifting fiction under Katie Collins? I... I've said she's just having a rest. She's a bit tired. (laughs) She's not dead completely. But at the moment, I am focusing on Kate Gray and the thriller world. And again, it all depends. Maybe I'll have a dream next time and that will spark the next Katie Collins. But at the moment, I'm enjoying the crime world and I'm enjoying getting to know my darker side. And yeah, we'll see. Never say never. Great. Wonderful. Look, Kate is reader. We always like to check in with our authors. Because this is a program where people love to binge read and are looking for the next favourite book. Tell us about what you're reading at the moment and if there's anything you'd recommend to listeners. So I've just finished the latest Lisa Jewell. None of this is true. And she's just the queen of the genre. So yeah, it was it was amazing to read, but also quite depressing then to go back to my laptop and see this empty black page and think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be as good as her. But I do read quite critically. So I, I then go back and see, well, how did she... You know, hide that red herring and how did she like plot those clues and that sort of thing. I find it hard to really read for pleasure now because it's part of the job. Another book I've read recently, which is a debut in the thriller genre, is Hannah Rochelle called The Search Party. That's coming out next year. I start, I think, spring next year, which is, was really good. I found 
again, her characterization, she's also done women's fiction before, so she knows how to get her characters. But I think maybe I need to have something light to a, a, a palette cleanser because I have been reading a lot of crime recently. So yeah, if there's anything that you can recommend that I can get some lighter relief from, then I'd be definitely up for that. Great. The, one of the authors that I interviewed recently was Loretta Chase. She's an absolute doyen of Regency oh. romance. And she's got a, a series at the moment going called The Disgraceful Dukes. There's, there's these three dukes who are bad boy dukes and they each one meet their nemesis in terms of a woman who tames them. And they're actually very funny. She's good at witty dialogue. So that might be a nice palate cleanser for you. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'll look that up. Thank you. She actually had an interesting story because she's been writing since the 90s. But two of the three books about the Dukes are out. But the third one, she had a terrible episode of writer's block when she's been writing for so many years. And she actually wrote about it in a blog a few months back now because she has got over it and she assures me that number three is going to be out before the end of the year. But uh, it hooked me in enough that I really want to see what happens with number three because this is one where the boy is already married, but you get the feeling, you get more than the feeling. In the first two books, it's clear that the marriage isn't going that well, but there's no real clue as to why. And we agreed that might have been the difficulty because she had to go back and find a way to get so much backstory into a romance when they're already married. So that was probably part of the problem, but it's got me hooked. Sounds good. It's really hard writing a series. And like I said, writer's block can strike at any time. So I do sympathize with her. And I don't think there really, really is a cure either. <laughs> the cure is to keep going, plowing through and getting your bum in the chair and hoping that, that you can keep going with it. But no, I do yeah. sympathize. It's horrible. That's exactly what she did. And she said she just knew every day she was writing absolute rubbish, but she kept writing rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there is one thing you'd change about your writing career, what would it be? That's a good question. I don't think there's anything I'd change. I don't really like looking back and having regrets. And I think I've never something that I would change about myself as a writer, which would be my procrastination levels are like sky high. So at the moment I've got an edit and it's sitting on my laptop and I then try not to even look at my laptop and I'll clean my skirting boards and I'll clean out the fridge and I'll have to suddenly go through all the clothes, the children's wardrobes and these pointless tasks that I don't need to do. But it's to avoid doing the hard work. And I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I was a bit more measured and organized and, and like I said, maybe more of a, a plotter. That might help me feel a bit more like bite-sized chunks maybe. But at the moment, it's every day that passes. My deadline's getting closer and I'm in pure denial. <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. What is next for Kate as author? What have you got on your desk over the next 12 months? Apart from obviously that edit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to face the edit if I like it or not. So no, this is the second, my second thriller, which I can't really say much about apart from it's quite different to the first. Um, so it happens, it's more of a locked room kind of mystery. It all happens in this really cool location over the course of just one night with a really small cast of characters. But the headache has been, which is why I'm really not wanting to do this edit, 
is because as soon as these characters start to, to die, be killed, the cast of characters gets smaller, so then it's harder to hide who's doing it. So it has been like this game in my head of seeing the rooms and moving them around and what can they hear, what can they see? And so it's been it's been quite meaty and chunky. And I halfway wish I had just maybe written a sequel to The Honeymoon because I could imagine it would be a lot more smoother than this. But another part of me knows that actually it's really good to challenge yourself as an author, keep it fresh. And hope to please the readers that they get something a little bit different. I'm not going to keep writing the same sort of books exactly to the kind of letter. But, you know, I, I'm, I just hope that people will enjoy it if they've enjoyed The Honeymoon as well. Yeah, great. Look, do you enjoy interacting with your readers and where can they find you online? I love meeting readers. I love hearing from readers. I love being tagged in photos on all my socials. So I'm on Kate Gray Author on most of my sites and Kate Gray Author website as well, which is going to go for a big refresh. I'm going to try and give it a bit of love. It's been a bit neglected recently. That's the problem when you've got books to write. Everything else, apart from my children's wardrobe that I've suddenly cleared out, <laughs> everything else gets neglected. <laughs> That's lovely. So you're on Facebook, Instagram. Do you do any TikTok? Um, I've done a couple but again, it's finding the time and yeah. that I could easily fill a whole day with trying to film a silly dance video with my book. And then <laughs> I know that in the evening I'll be full of guilt that I didn't actually use the time when the, ch the children were at school to actually. So yeah, I try and stay off it if I can. But maybe when I've handed this edit in, I can have some free and some fun. That would be good. So have you got an idea for the next book? Vain-ish. It's nothing concrete yet. So I'm leaving my mind open and praying for another nightmare. <laughs> I've got my pen and paper by my bedside. Just in case bikes again. I might start eating more cheese. <laughs> but no, as yeah, it's a couple of ideas are floating around, but nothing set in stone. Kate, look, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to talk. It's been so lovely. Until then, happy reading.